I am so glad that we have Jacqueline following our show. It's such a good transition. We've been friends with her for a long time, and it's great that, you know, we have that here. We have a station that is so involved with the community and supporting all the different aspects of our community here in Houston. So this is something that I value, William values, and, and all of us down here value, and I know as somebody who listened a lot longer than I've... Uh, I mean, I started listening to KPFT back in uh, 1970. Just when it first a, went on the air. Well, just a couple of months after wow. it came on the air, wow. and I've been listening to it ever since. And so whether it's people that just... Uh, you know, been stuck from the beginning because we knew it was something we weren't going to hear anywhere else. Or it's new people that are just discovering, just discovering yeah. KPFT. It's here for all of us. It is, and it will hopefully it will be around another fifty-two years. That's what we're hoping. Yes. Oh, I certainly hope so That's too. What we're hoping. Okay. I think Jacqueline's getting ready to start her music. All right. We'll get it. We'll move out of the way. <laughs> uh, Jacqueline, thank you for being patient with us while we wrapped up this. And uh, have a great show, and we will see you next week. And everybody, take care out there. This is KPFT, Houston. Yeah, it sure is. Oh, I was waiting for that great music. <laughs> but that's okay, because I'm going to put put some really good music and want to respect and honor that we're going into uh, International Women's Day and that's coming uh, on the 8th and um, first day the whole month they kind of honor that day as well so um, so with that I'm going to start out with this music okay and again you're listening to KPFT 90.1 FM kpft.org Uh, And also, 89.5 in Galveston and 89.7 in uh, Huntsville, in beautiful Huntsville, and also, you know, beautiful East Texas, where we are, where we find ourselves. Um, So, with that, People of Earth, People of Earth, it is indigenous news, views, music, and um, from the indigenous communities here on Turtle Island and sometimes beyond. So with that, I'm going to share this music with you right now. When I first started trying. And I hope you, um, you know, should be revving. Keep on moving forward. Keep on moving forward. Never turning back. Never turning Gonna keep on moving proudly. Keep on moving proudly. Keep on moving proudly. Never turning back. Never turning Oh! 
Returning back, Pat Humphreys and Pat Humphreys with uh, Sandy Apato Tao and uh, their Emma's Revolution and that move that song. Keep on moving forward. Keep on moving forward. It's what we're doing here. We're moving forward, and we're just coming to the close of our great uh, fun drive, a beautiful fun drive that you can still be a part of if you want to support Indigenous Voices, but we are officially, we're not going, we're, uh, we're just going to do what we do without asking you to support KPFT, which we know you want to do anyway. And in case you want to do it, I'll just give the phone number one more time, 713-526-5738. That is our number and also our line here so again, I'm Jacqueline and People of Earth, and that's what you're listening to right now here on KPFT, Kappa FAT, uh, the Mighty Ninety, as some people like to say. In a little bit. Um, Each year, the President of the National Congress of American Indians presents the State of Indian Nations and addresses, uh, it's an address to members of Congress and government officials, tribal leaders, and citizens, uh, all citizens, uh, and the public, anybody who's tuning in to hear about it. Uh, And so that was delivered not long ago. So with that, we're going to hear just some of it later the speech um, delivered during uh, the president of the United States delivers his State of the Union the State of Indian Nations and it shares positive and future oriented vision of indigenous nations outlining the goals of many of the indigenous leaders as the National Congress of American Indians represents uh, nations from all across Turtle Island that come there to represent their various communities. So that's coming up in just a little while. And the new president, Mark Macaro, is the new president of the National Congress of American Indians. And this beautiful music is um, Egberto Gismonti Trio, a beautiful Brazilian musician inspired by the beautiful um, Brazil, 
in the Amazon and where he's from. Talking about International Indian uh, <laughs> International um, Women's Day, and it's for everybody. Indigenous award-winning writer, activist, novelist, and poet Jeanette Armstrong, Doctor Jeanette Armstrong, has always sought to change biased misconceptions about Indigenous people, and. Uh, she's um it's it has her her uh, passion has moved her to accomplish all of this as an associate professor of indigenous studies in the faculty of arts and sciences uh, she's in research education and she informs the minds of the next generation dr armstrong speaks uh, brilliantly enriching her students and everyone who hears her speak. I've been honored to have her on People of Earth a few times in the past. And her research into indigenous philosophies and the Akhenagan uh, uh, language is, all, and is uh, really profound. And she's... Um, their traditional territory spanning Canada, the U.S. boundary in Washington State, and unceded British Columbia. And she's also uh, serves as a member of the Inakin Center, which is a registered secondary institute and member of the Indigenous Adult and Higher Educa- Learning Education or Association. And that's in Canada. In 2021, Dr. Armstrong was elected a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada and in an area of community, culture, and global studies. And the fellowship of the RSC comprises 
over 2,000 Canadian scholars, artists, scientists, and who appear elected as the best in their field and have made remarkable contributions in the arts, humanities, sciences, and public life, slash, which Dr. Armstrong published in 1985, is considered by many as the first novel by First Nations by a First Nations woman and commissioned by the Curriculum Project for use as part of a grade 11 study in contemporary history. Dr. Armstrong wanted Slash to explore the history of the North American Indian protest movement through the critical perspective of her central character, Tommy Kalaskic, who eventually renamed Slash. And the novel, uh, Tommy encounters intolerance and racism and assimilation in school, in this school system, but his family encourages him to be proud and strong in his own heritage. So so there's that. And, and she's just won so many other wonderful awards acknowledging all her compassion and work and devotion to this line of and to her field. So I wanted to mention that because uh, because we're honoring International Women's Day. I mean, it's next week coming right up. But I want to share this about uh, her, from her. School. When I first started trying to find information about the Okanagan people and my culture, my language, and realized that it just wasn't there. It was absent. Even in the Okanagan curriculum, never found anything about the Okanagan people, let alone the interior Salish people. I knew my history orally from my parents, but I had no way of knowing whether that was written anywhere. But I did know that it was wrong, and I did realize that there wasn't a lot of research. Right out of university, I became very interested in traveling around with the elders, and as an interpreter, I started realizing these guys know more about history than anybody else in this valley. At that point, they identified education as a priority for us as a younger generation at that time to do as much research as we could to be able to provide the substantive information about who we were, how we used our land, and what our rights were in relation to that. It was a wonderful time. School districts were involved in developing that first research phase, and that's how I became involved. The first phase of that research was really related to information that could be turned into curriculum for in-school programs. Once that research was done, we produced a K-12 curriculum. The second phase of the research involved looking at how do we look at our own communities in terms of what they need to recover and how they need to apply their own values, their own systems and organized way of doing things. The third phase of our research really is concentrated around all of the revitalization of language, revitalization of culture, which means how can they be applied in a contemporary sense and maintain the values and the philosophy Well, one of the values that I've carried with me and the core of what inspires and fuels my inquisitiveness about the SEAL culture is that I realize that there's some real problems in the kind of philosophy and value toward the land and the things that live on it is not the same as the SEAL people's values around all the living things, which are as valuable as we are, as valuable as the next person. So how we interact with them is incredibly important. And I think that there may be ways in which the SEAL mind and the SEAL philosophy can provide a knowledgeable and wise input into that ongoing social dialogue. We've come to that time where we need to include as many pieces of knowledge from as many diverse corners of humanity in order to solve this problem that seems not solvable. Jeanette Armstrong, Associate Professor, Canada Research Chair in Okanagan Indigenous Knowledge and Philosophy, Indigenous Studies Faculty at the Irving K. Barber Faculty of Arts and Science, Social Sciences. 
and she's from the uh, Penticton Indian Reserve in BC. Since we are on the subject of really remarkable people, women, a Heidi Erdrich name, first ever poet laureate of Minneapolis. And so this information comes from The Circle by Cat Whipple and the City of Minneapolis Arts and Cultural Affairs Department and the Loft Literary Center announced the appointment of Heidi Erdrich as the first ever poet laureate making a significant milestone in the city's cultural and literary landscape. Widely esteemed poet, author, and advocate, she brings an illustrious and influential body of work and life experience to this role. Um, Her career encompasses a series of acclaimed poetry collections, including the National Poetry Series, Winner, and with uh, Little Big Bully, She's Anishinaabe, enrolled in the Turtle Mountain, at Turtle Mountain. And in addition to her own work, she's edited multiple collections, amplifying the work of other indigenous writers. She's received two Minnesota Book Awards and awards from the Library of Congress and the National Poetry Series and Native Arts and Cultures Foundation, First Peoples Fund, and so much more. So, so much more. Uh, Her keen interest in visual poetics has led to multiple collaborations, and she's been been involved in installations around indigenous art. Let me also go ahead and say at this time that Tuesday on March 5th, from at 6.30 at 34.12 Crawford at the Women's History Month film screening with a screening of a film without a whisper and the untold story of the profound influence of indigenous women on the beginning of the women's rights movement in the United States without a whisper at the uh, Center for the Healing of Racism. Listening to People of Earth here on KPFT 90.1 FM, kpft.org. Also, as uh, said earlier, uh, a reminder that we are in Galveston at 89.5 FM, Huntsville 89.7 FM. We're really grateful to be reaching out to all these different communities and Please don't let it be a secret and just go out there and tell everybody you know that we can be heard in some of these areas. It would be so great to reach more and more people out there in these parts of East Texas and in Galveston, beautiful Galveston. So um, so there's that. I want to share some music with you again. And now this music is going to be another incredible indigenous woman. She's uh, got many albums that she has uh, written. She's a beautiful songwriter, singer. So Annie Humphreys, and this song originally uh, by Michael Murphy, but here's her take on Geronimo's Cadillac. Where he couldn't look up 
gift horse in the mouth Well, Sergeant, Sergeant, don't you feel There's something wrong with that automobile And Governor, Governor, isn't it strange I ain't never seen no card on this Indian Ranch Well, Warden, Warden, please listen to me people of earth here on kpft 90.1 fm kpft.org kpft.org where you can see everything that's happening here at kpft and the ending of the fun drive uh, what was there um, kpft.org and uh, i'm jacqueline people of earth it is indigenous that was geronimo's cadillac that was annie humphreys you could look for her. She has a beautiful website. She has a lot of wonderful music. So, uh, again, uh, Geronimo's Cadillac. Um, I want to mention that over the, the weekend, there was a memorial for somebody who was very much a part of KPFT for decades uh, off and on, but really had a strong uh, part in some of the programming here. He did Afrocentric Reality, uh, later on Self-Determination, with um, uh, Obadike Kamau, uh, who passed on, he walked on, and his memorial, presented by his family and friends, happened this weekend at the Shrine of the Black Madonna. So we wanna honor him and everything that he did and tried to do for KPFT. He was very much a part of KPFT. So uh, we want to honor that, his, his, and also his own, his community and TSU, Texas Southern University, which he was a part of and a professor at, or he, he was a uh, part of. And he, um, and the work that he did in the community that he was involved in. So, so with that, mentioning, uh, honoring uh, Obadike Kamau.
Good to the last drop. You're listening to People of Earth here on KPFT 90.1 FM, kpft.org. mentioned earlier that I was honoring uh, Obedike Kamau and just wanted to mention that again, that he had his uh, memorial service on it for him this past weekend. Also, I want to mention this about Henry Bucha and somebody who was known in the indigenous world. And he walked on on September 19th of last year before he could see the completion of a documentary about his life. And filmmaker Leah Hale, she's been working with Henry on this documentary, and it's called The Electric Indian, which will premiere pretty soon uh, in March, at the end of March. And they've been working... in conjunction with the um, Twin Cities uh, PBS. So Layla's beautiful tribute captures her relationship with Henry, and he's a Nishinaabe. He's a hockey player, legendary hockey player, who was a standout hockey star from War Road, Minnesota, and he played high school hockey in 1969. In 1972, he went to the Olympics, and then he played national hockey in the National Hockey League, where an a terrible assault on the ice on him injured him severely and ended his career. But he um, struggled with that, but then he, came, he overcame so much. And also, um, so, well, this wonderful documentary has already been shown to his own community. It got a sneak peek at this new documentary in his community in Minnesota. But everybody else can see it in the, at the end of March, around March 26, I believe that's the time, but you'll have to check your own listings if you want to see this PBS special. And again, it's called The Electric Indian. And so uh, he died, in, as I said, last September at the age of 72, and his funeral was just a few months before Hockey Day Minnesota came to his hometown. While so many packed into a massive heated tent to see 
this well-done retrospective of his life and all that he was. So both on the ice and in his life. And here's the, the trailer for that. It's unbelievable the way things happen. It's been a long road. And I remember vividly the sounds of skating on fresh ice. Henry, he could take that puck and he would go all over the rink with it and nobody could touch him. We were pretty fortunate to be a young kid in Moro with so many players that were so good. Since the inception of hockey in Warroad, one of the neat marriages is that the local community had a lot of natives, so the natives play and are welcomed. And I don't think you realize how big a deal it was till after it was over. Man, you just can't grab those emotions that you had with the community and the pride and the joy. When he would get the puck, the whole crowd would stand up. Those of us who are involved with hockey dream and aspire to do some of the things that Henry got to do with his incredible talent. Ahern on a pass to Boucher in the right side, a slap shot. Henry Boucher was referred to as the electric Indian because he was so explosive. Special players have that gift. The game slows down for them. It just so happens today, January 4th, we were playing the Boston Bruins when Dave Forbes hit me with a stick. O'Shea's promising pro career was over. I was 23 when it happened. You know, it just took away my will. He was just lost, didn't know where he was going, what he was doing. In that state of depression, self-pity, I hated hockey. If you're going through hell, just keep going. Try to persevere the negatives because the positives will come. Let's welcome Henry to the ice. So again, the story of Henry Boucher, and he's um, walked on before he could see this documentary that he was involved in making with Leela Hale. And Leela Hale is a public television producer in the Twin Cities. She met Henry in 2018. The Electric Indian is the name of the documentary, and The Electric Indian was the nickname fans gave Henry during his time on the 1972 U.S. Olympic team and later in the National Hockey League. So uh, there's that. You're listening to People of Earth. And People of Earth, it is indigenous. We are here on KPFT 90.1 FM, kpft.org. We are also on 89.5 in Galveston. And we are also in, did I say 89? Yes, that's right. 89.5 in Galveston and 89.7 in Huntsville. All right, let me keep my numbers straight, our numbers straight, so you know where to find us at any given time. So yes, I was mentioning each year the president of the National in, in the National Congress of American Indians presents the State of the Indian Nations address to members of Congress and government officials who come there and to hear it uh, in person, along with indigenous leaders from all over Turtle Island and uh, other citizens. And you, the public, everybody can listen to this. Um, So it's delivered during the President of the United States State of the Union Address. So I'm going to just share a little bit of that. And uh, from the President of the National Congress of the American Indians, the new President, Mark Macaro. The speech was delivered to a live audience in Washington, D.C. and broadcast all through the nation. trying to find information about the Okanagan people and my culture. My life. 
meyam, no kiyam, no neskinam, no otnanum, atwilam, a mayum, be neskinum, be nek be voktum, be payom kawachum, non mark mukara yukra, be kick to me mukara, be kangish, be non pachanga wish, bumtoshkagati. Greetings, everyone, and good morning. My name is Mark Makaro of the Mokara and Grants Ground Squirrel Clans, and I'm the tribal chairman of the Pechanga Band of Indians in California. I am privileged to live life alongside my extraordinary partner in this work, Holly Cook Makaro, and, and our kids, Hudson, Reg, our daughter, Rebecca, and David. Holly and Reg are here today, somewhere there. And I thank the Pechanga Band of Indians, my people, Pechangayam. By resolution and goodwill, you wholeheartedly supported this endeavor for me to be NCAI president. Alright? Pechanga. Welcome to this welcome to the 2024 State of Indian Nations address. It's a privilege to serve as Indian country. It's a privilege to serve Indian country as president of the National Congress of American Indians. I strive to do so with humility and a desire to do right by our people. I also acknowledge the original people of this territory, the Anacostian Nation and the Piscataway Nation. We thank the Creator for bringing us here today. The wisdom and the values of our elders are the bedrocks of our communities. And the powerful voices of our youth in Indian Country embolden the hope I have for all of us. To our Native veterans, thank you for your service. I'm honored to have some of our federal counterparts here today. These elected officials, political and judicial appointees, and their staff make decisions every day that directly impact our people. Let us also take a moment to breathe in the rich diversity and strength of our thriving tribal nations that are in this very room. I believe this is a moment for hope in Indian Country. We continue to make strides in representation and everything from elected office to outer space to what, I will, to what I believe will be a historic night at the Academy Awards next month. Let's go, Lily. Right? The work always continues, but the state of Indian nations is strong and on the rise. As I approach my time as NCAI president, I do so the same way I've approached the past nearly 30 years as tribal chairman, relying on the strength of our cultural foundations and inspiration drawn from my dad, Sonny. Like so many Native people of his generation, Sonny had a challenging life, but he carried a disposition that respected people and erred on the side of optimism. My dad was a state corrections officer at the youth training school in Chino, California. For 14 years, he worked with incarcerated young adults. Black and brown people were the majority population in that prison. I remember once, as a teenager who knew everything, asking how he could stand to be around these criminals every day, assuming they must all deserve to be there. He replied, son, you don't know what most of these people have gone through. Don't judge them on what might have been their worst decision and lowest point in their life. I took his wisdom to heart, as I've carried his words with me ever since. My dad was killed in the line of duty in 1988, chasing down an escaping prisoner. Now, I'm also a bird singer and a Qantas singer back at home. Like many of you, the songs that we sing at social gatherings and funerals teach us about our place in the world. Through our songs, I know the word for bison. In my language, for example, the word is uchanat. But there have not been bison in Southern California for thousands of years. We had a contract archaeologist in our valley who was dismissive of the possibility that bison had ever roamed Southern California. He called it a memory culture word. But isn't it interesting that whenever there's a construction project in our area and that requires excavation that goes down more than 20 feet, they always find bison bones. What sounds more plausible, that my people made up a word for an animal that never lived among them, or that my people date back in our part of the world to the Ice Age, and maybe as long as two and a half million years ago. 
Our stories and histories continue to have much to offer everyone in this nation. Our songs tell us of a time on earth before the moon was in the sky. Indeed, we've been here an awful long, long time. And there's an unwavering spirit that has secured the strength of our communities today. We are the first Americans, and our tribal nations are the first governments. I am speaking today not only to Indian country, but to our fellow American citizens who increasingly turn to us for wisdom, collaboration, and solutions to our shared challenges. This beautiful theater is grand. This beautiful theater where we're gathered first opened 100 years ago in 1924, the same year Indians in this country gained American citizenship and the right to vote. But this theater doesn't look exactly the way it did in 1924, and neither does Indian country. Our communities continue to rebuild and reinforce our traditions and cultures and values. We've withstood the test of time. Long after this building is gone, we will still be here. So, while the Snyder Act was passed 100 years ago, barriers to the ballot remain and continue to be thrown up, which is why the bipartisan Native American Voting Rights Act, led by our Native American Caucus, isn't just a bill that needs congressional approval. It's a tool that empowers our political voice and the Native vote. In 2024, the power of the Native vote holds the potential to swing elections and shape history, not just for Native people, but for everyone in the United States for generations. 2024 will be a pivotal year, but it's important to not just focus on this year in my first address as NCAI president. I want us to look out 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, because I want us to envision the legacy we intend to leave for our future. I believe that legacy will only happen if we continue the tradition set forth when NCAI was founded 80 years ago, a tradition of unity, of unity of purpose and action. Now, those who founded NCAI here in America's capital knew each tribal nation has its unique culture and that we are united by a common purpose that a unified voice and collective action are the pathways to protecting and strengthening the sovereignty of our tribal nations. This wisdom transcends and connects generations. The power of our collective voice has never been more evident than it was last year in the historic way Indian country responded to the Bracking case. 486 tribal nations and 59 native organizations were instrumental in supporting the constitutionality of the Indian Child Welfare Act. Yeah. People listened, the courts listened, and the United States listened. Together, tribal nations stood shoulder to shoulder to protect our children. This is the unity of collective action that propels us forward. It's our job to build on this legacy. Now, part of that legacy is continuing to tell the stories, especially the painful ones. Not to dwell on the trauma of the past, but to learn from it and to grow stronger from it. We draw our sense of service to our people from the most painful times in our histories. The sacrifices of our forebears challenge us in the present with the responsibility to carry our tribal identities forward. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland has... Wait, let me say that again. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland... I want, to, I want to make sure we never take this moment for granted. Secretary Holland has, has held and carried the stories of federal boarding schools that are cracking open the conversations of this era. We're grateful for all that she holds, and we must commit to continuing her work. We must keep telling those stories and continue to create safe places for people to share their stories so that we may add them to, to the mosaic of our history and prevent the invisibility of this and other traumatic times in our past. Just like that archaeologist who refused to believe that bison ever walked the land of my ancestors, we must make it impossible for future historians and archaeologists to ignore that, that what happened here in our lifetime. We must continue to tell our story. So, 
Part of the work before us for both Indian Country and the three branches of federal government is to maximize the potential of our government-to-government relationship with an eye towards the sovereignty we've always had and the treaties that we're still expecting to be honored. We face a harsh reality. Recent court decisions have challenged the sovereignty of our people and disregarded core principles of our treaties. We grew comfortable believing, knowing that some issues were settled law. But suddenly, efforts are made to diminish our tribal sovereignty. How can our world so quickly be upended? The Castro Huerta decision is a glaring example. It illustrates how foundational legal understandings of U.S. tribal relations laid down over two centuries can so easily be reconsidered. Such rulings have reshaped and at times rewritten history to justify the outcomes that undermine our sovereign rights. It cannot be overstated how much a single justice can affect the lives of millions of people. Castro Huerta painfully highlighted a deep-seated misunderstanding of tribal sovereignty, whereas the Brackeen case saw our history and rights not just acknowledged, but respected. For now, there are no longer these linear fights where we battle, we win, and then on to the next one. Rather, they will keep coming at us. Fifty years ago today, on this actual date, the Supreme Court issued the Bolt decision. Yeah. The Bolt decision was a huge win and a key ruling recognizing treaty-based hunting and fishing rights for our relatives in the Pacific Northwest. This stark difference between cases underscores the urgent need for a judiciary that understands and honors the principles of tribal sovereignty. As my old friend Billy Frank of the Nisqually Nation used to say, one more slice of our tribal sovereignty. You can't let him do it. So, to ensure this federal Indian law, to ensure this, federal Indian law and the history of our government-to-government relations must be integral to legal education everywhere and mandatory on bar exams in all states. Now, we commend President Biden for nominating a historic number of Native Americans to the federal bench, and we thank the senators who led the vote in confirming these nominations. We have seen true champions within the halls of Congress in both chambers who deeply understand our communities and fight for our futures alongside us. Sharice Davids, Tom Cole, Mary Peltola, Josh Brakeen, and Mark Wayne Mullen. Bring it down a bit. Me. Yeah, you're listening to People of Earth here on KPFT 90.1 FM. KPFT.org, and I'm Jacqueline. People of Earth is coming to an end in just a couple of minutes here. People of Earth, Indigenous News Views, and also want to invite you to stay after People of Earth. I mean, KPFT isn't going anywhere. Airwaves will be open. You still have ears, and so you can keep listening to KPFT. And following uh, People of Earth is... Uh, Saeed with Arab Voices, so please, please stay tuned for that as well. Uh, Also, well, we are coming up, as I said, to the very close of this evening, and we want to thank you. We're in a thank you mode. We're in a gratitude mode. We're in an appreciation mode for all of you people that uh, came out and showed your support for KPFT during our fun drive, which has just ended just recently. I mean, just 